Amen. Let's take our Bibles, please turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Let's share a testimony with you before we start this morning. Colossians chapter 1, we'll look at verse 12 is where we'll start this morning. This week we had uh, prayer requests go out for Sherry Beaton, and Sherry had uh, grandmother to uh, Josh and Bella and Liam, and uh, yes, Junior Church, you are dismissed, thank you. And uh, Jessica Morrow's mother, and uh, she'd had a brain aneurysm. It was very serious, and they moved her immediately from Simcoe. Uh, to Hamilton, and they said she likely won't survive the trip to Hamilton. And so when they got there, they, she was still alive, and they were able to put a shunt in. And uh, the next day, they were able to do surgery. And the day after that, she was talking to the doctors and doing much better, and likely comes home next week. And I thank you for those that are praying. If you're here at prayer meeting Wednesday night, we sent out an email prayer to those that have subscribed to the prayer updates list. I'd encourage you to do that if you want to get prayer updates and uh, on there as well. There's a button you can push as well as on our website that says prayer requests and it'll take you to a form and you can fill out the prayer requests and you can check three box, one of three boxes. I want this to go out immediately. This is an urgent prayer, so it'll go by email to whoever is subscribed to that. Uh, I want this on the Wednesday night prayer list or I just want the pastor to have this and we'll, we'll act accordingly. But anyway, we were able to send that prayer request out. Folks prayed and just a couple days later, I was able to send an update that that in a miraculous way, uh, she's doing very well. And so we praise the Lord for that. But the testimony is this. Uh, Bella was in school that day and uh, shared as a prayer request. We'd already known what was going on. We'd heard through the night. And, and she shared with a prayer request for her grandma. And that uh, she said she's in surgery right now, but it's very, very grim. And we don't know if that she's going to make it. And uh, I guess at recess or something, one of the kids said, you don't seem too upset about your grandma. And she says, I love my grandma very much. She says, but I also know that she has trusted Jesus as her Savior. And if the Lord were to take her home, I know that I'd see her again. And it blessed my heart because, you know, Sunday school teachers and master club workers, you wonder, are these kids getting it? Are they hearing and at some point, Bella has accepted Christ as her Savior. Now she is 14, 15 years old and able to testify, I know what salvation is, and I have peace in God because of it. And so I just encourage you, keep going, keep teaching these kids, because some of it does stick. And the Holy Spirit of God has, has done a work in her heart. To, and, and I believe in the last week, we've seen Bella just kind of draw close to the Lord as a result of what's going on, and uh, praise the Lord for it. And so it just encouraged my heart. I hope it encouraged yours. Keep teaching, keep praying for these kids. Uh, God can save them and do a work in their lives. Amen. It's worth it. It's worth it. Colossians chapter 1. <clears throat> uh, thank Cody. I'm, you can hear my voice is tiring already, and so I had him lead singing this service. And uh, I appreciate that so much, him jumping in. And, and uh, i got to teach these guys how to read. We had other things on here. He didn't do it. But anyway, that's fine. <laughs> Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1. Look with me in verse 12. Now, Wednesday night, I've been just reading through the book of Colossians the last little while, and Wednesday night I taught from chapter 1 in the first 11 verses. We find in there that Paul gives a prayer of gratitude. He's thankful for the salvation in Christ Jesus. He gives thanks unto God for that. 
And, you know, I, I was shared Wednesday night, we ought to be thankful when somebody else gets saved. And, you know, I was thinking about that with Bella this week. She's thankful that her grandma, boy, I tell you what, we often don't think about that until it gets into a very dire circumstance. But she was thankful grandma was saved. And we ought to be thankful. We ought to rejoice. The angels in heaven rejoice. We go on and Paul talks about being grateful for their salvation. Then he, then he, he begins to pray for their growth. He says, I want you to grow in Christ Jesus. And he shared some areas that they need to grow in. And we all need to grow in. And we looked at that Wednesday night. But as we move into verse 12, we see that he reminds them of some very basic things about their salvation. Now, here's the interesting thing. They were already saved. The Bible says he's writing to the saints and faithful brethren at Colossae, back in verse 1. And so they're already a saved people. Why is he talking to them about salvation? Well, because... Like you and I, the moment we got saved, we didn't understand everything that took place, did we? I knew as a boy that I was lost, that I had sinned, I had done bad things, and I had offended a holy God. And that because of my sin, I deserved a penalty, but I couldn't afford to pay it because the wages of sin is death. But I also know that Jesus Christ came and he took my place. And so I understood the very simple gospel 1 Corinthians 15 tells us the very simple gospel is that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And, and, and I understood the very basic premise of the gospel and so do you. But we didn't understand that day we got saved what it meant to, about propitiation or reconciliation or remission of sins and, and all these big Bible words that we find. We, we may not have understood all that. And so Paul is going back now to the church at Colossae. And by the way, I, I believe Laodicea is getting this letter as well because he's praying for the faithful saints and brethren at Colossae and Laodicea, he says. And, and he's, he's teaching them some of these very core doctrines. Let me tell you, as we look at these core doctrines, it, it's a matter of rejoicing. It's exciting to think what happened the moment you got saved. You know, I, I liken it to this. I understand that when I go to the bank or I go to a bank machine or now you can do stuff on your phone. I haven't been to a bank in years, actually. I deposit checks off my phone and I do everything I need to do. And, but no matter what we do, every transaction we make is recorded at a main server somewhere. I mean, there's, think about that. If, there's, uh, if your bank has a thousand branches across Canada, computers are lining up and satellites are sending signals across the country and millions of numbers are being computed all the time and very rarely do we find a mistake. It's amazing all the thousands of computations that take place with just one little transaction and you know the moment you got saved, a lot of things happen just like that. And we can't fathom all that God did and all that happened in the heavens and all that happened in our hearts. But God did a lot of things the moment you got saved. And Paul begins to share some of them uh, with the church at Colossae. So look at verse 12 with me as we consider some of the things that happened the moment we got saved. And friend, if, you, if you're here today and you say, well, I don't, I don't know if I know Jesus. I, I don't know if I could say beyond the shadow of a doubt that I'm saved. I don't know for sure that I'm on my way to heaven. I want you to listen particularly closely. For those that are saved today, it's a message for you. It's a reminder of what Christ has done for us. It's a matter of rejoicing. But for a few today don't know Christ, listen, would you, would you just tune in for the next half hour? Would you listen closely and attune your ear and check off some of these boxes, if you will, and find out, have I done that? Am I truly saved? Has Christ done that work in me? And then you can know for sure 
by asking Jesus to save you today before it's eternally too late. Verse 12 of 1 Corinthians, or Colossians chapter 1 says, Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet. That means he has made us fit. He has prepared us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Boy, that, that's a good verse right there. That, you could put that and preach that for a while. I put that on my headstone. I'm laying here dead and I'm, my body is turning to dust and my bones are rotting away. But this I know God has made me meet to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in light. I'm going to be in heaven. Don't worry about what's in the grave. Look upward for I'm with the Lord. And then he says in verse 13, who hath delivered us. He's talking about Jesus who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son and whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. And by him, all things consist. Let's pray. Father, help us. Lord, as we look into your holy word today, we pray that you would just speak to our hearts and lives. And Father, I'll admit again this week, it's the third time this morning already I'm preaching this, and I, I pray, Lord, that I wouldn't lose passion. Uh, Lord, that I wouldn't become bored and, and leave things out. Uh, Lord, for the word of God is quick and powerful. It's alive and I pray, Lord, that it would just rest upon my heart in that very same way. And Lord, I pray that you'd speak to hearts here with the power of the Holy Spirit. May the Spirit of God fill me and use me, but may he touch each heart in life here in this room today. Lord, if there's one here that may not know Jesus as Savior, may today be the day they get it settled. I think of a couple in the last service who have never professed Christ. And as they go home, I know in particular one has had many questions. I pray that you'd save his soul today. <clears throat> so, Father, speak to us and help us, we pray. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know when you got saved, a divine transformation took place? That means that it came from God. That's what divine means. But he changed your life. A transformation. The Bible says that we put off the old man and we put, off, put on the new that we have become new creatures in Christ Jesus. Jesus said it this way to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And you hath he quickened, Paul writes to the Ephesians, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Quickened means you're now made alive. There was a wonderful transformation, a divine transformation that took place in our lives the moment we got saved. And as we look in the book of Colossians, we understand that Paul wrote the epistles to teach doctrine. And there's a lot of good Bible doctrine in here about this divine transformation that takes place. And as we look at this divine transformation, we notice, first of all, this morning, we were released from the power of sin. Notice what it says in verse 13 with me this morning, who hath delivered us from the power of of darkness. The Bible uses the word there, delivered us. We've been delivered from the power of darkness. We've been delivered from the power of sin. We've been released, if you will. You know, often we will sing a hymn or a song and, and we'll come to a, a phrase like, and can it be? 
And it's talking about Paul and Silas in jail on that third verse. And it says, mine eye diffused a quickening ray. Light shone into that prison cell. And then they sing, my chains fell off. That's a picture of what happens when we experience the divine transformation. When we are saved, when we are born again, we are freed from the power of sin. I love the third verse of it is well with my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. We sing another that says he breaks the power of canceled sin. Friends, those are not just clever lyrics in a song or a hymn. They are not just uh, written to, to try to excite the believer, but instead they are doctrinal truths from the word of God that he has saved us from the power of sin. Friends, you are free. That's what it means to have a divine transformation. First, we are released from the power of sin, but we also see in verse 13, we are relocated to the presence of the Son. Notice what it says. He says, you have delivered us from the power of darkness and have translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. He didn't just bring us out of the power of sin to leave us somewhere. He brought us into the kingdom of his son. There was a translation that took place, a movement. The words translate means to move from one place to another. You know, if I were to find you in Walmart today after the service, I, I might say, well, how'd you get here? He said, well, pastor, I was at church, and you know how I got here. I went out and got in my car, and I drove here, just like you did. But if I were to ask you, how did you get here, and you're standing there in Walmart, so I really don't know. I, just a second ago, I was in church, and now I'm here. That's what translate means. That it happens so quickly, we don't understand how it happens. We move from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. You have the quickened. I like the word quickened because it makes it sound like it happened quickly. It happened fast. Now, one day I'm going to be translated from this earth too. And the Bible says in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, I'll be forever with the Lord. It's, that's the kind of, that's the kind of happened when you got saved. He broke the power of sin and he moved you into the kingdom of his dear son. And it happened in a moment. You were translated. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ was once translated on this earth. The Bible says he went up into the Mount of Transfiguration and he met with his father and something changed that moment he stepped into God's presence. So much so that the disciples couldn't even look upon his face for he glowed. I'm here to tell you when you're translated, there ought to be a change in your life. And so we see in verse 13, as we talk about a divine transformation, we are released from the power of sin, we're relocated to the presence of the Son. Thirdly, verse 14 says, we're redeemed through the price of shed blood. We're redeemed through the price of shed blood. He says in verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Redeemed. Redemption. What does it mean? It means to be purchased. The power of sin had such a hold on you and the devil had such a hold on our lives that there had to be a price paid to buy us back. We were slaves and God shed his blood to pay the price of our redemption. He purchased us back. They say, oh, did all that happen? It happened in a moment when you trusted Christ as your savior. He broke the power of sin. He moved you into the presence of his son. He redeemed you by the price of his blood. 
And then we see in the last part of verse 14, remission through the propitiation of the Savior, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. That word forgiveness is different than what we might use it as because we are finite human beings. If Brother Axler came to me and said, Brother Fury, I, I, you know, I feel like I need to apologize for you, and I say, well, I forgive you. We often do that, but sometimes it's hard to forget. There's always that thing, and maybe we're not as close as we used to be. And I mean, biblically speaking, we ought to. I mean, we ought to be able to put it away, and we ought to love one another, and we ought to be best friends again, and, and nothing ought to be charged to each other's account. But, but we're just, we're flesh. But when God forgives us, it's the Bible word remission, which means the putting away of. He removes it as far as the east is from west. That's a description of remission. He buries it in the depths of the deepest sea. That's a description of remission. Hebrews chapter 9 says, their, their sins will I remember no more. God has the ability to put it away completely. Why? Because verse 14 says, through his blood, we are forgiven of our sins. It is the remission of our sins. And because of propitiation, you say, what is propitiation? It means because Jesus satisfied the justice and the wrath of God. That's what happened when you got saved. I deserved hell. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. First John chapter 2, verse 20, says this. Or sorry, First John 2, verse 2. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. First John 4 says, Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In other words, God demanded a payment. God demanded a price. And Jesus paid it in full. He satisfied the wrath and the justice of God upon our sin. Boy, a lot happened when you got saved, didn't it? And listen, I'm just, I'm just touching the tip of the iceberg. If we were to read the other epistles, we'd find out so much more, but we're just going to stay in this chapter today. But remember this, this divine transformation, the moment you got saved, we were released from the power of sin. We were relocated to the presence of the Son. We were redeemed through the price of shed blood, and we have remission through the propitiation of the Savior. But notice next what happens in this scripture. He talks about God and the Son, verses 13 and 14, about what happened when we got saved. But now he says, let me tell you more about this Jesus who saved you. And he goes on to a divine visitation. So we see a divine transformation, but now we see a divine visitation. We see in verse 14 or verse 15, talking about Jesus now, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Now understand what Paul is doing. He's trying to help them understand what happened when I got saved. A divine transformation took place. All these wonderful things happened. Verse 14 tells us what, or verse 13 tells us what God did. Verse 14 tells us what Jesus did. But now he's going to say, let me tell you more about that Jesus. First of all, he is God incarnate. He is God incarnate. Look what it says in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of every creature. An image is something that you can see. Invisible is something that you cannot see. Jesus 
is something that we can see. He is the image of the invisible God. You say, what's another way to say that? He is God in the flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now listen to these next few words. And we beheld his glory because he was the image. We could see him of the invisible God. We beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus said to the disciples, somebody came to him and said, we would see the Father, we would see God. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because he was the image of the Father. He is God incarnate. Paul says, let me tell you about the Jesus that saved you. Let me tell you about the God that created this transaction to take place in your life where all these wonderful things happened. You're putting away your sin and the moving into the family of God. Let me tell you who he is. He is God incarnate. Number two, he is God in creation. In case you're wondering about his power, notice what it says in verse 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he's before all things. And by him all things consist. He said, does he really have the power? Does he really have the power to snatch me from the power of darkness? He's the ruler of all principalities and thrones and dominions. He is God. He created all of them. Now notice the scriptures. Not only did he create them, they were created by him, but they were created for him. That means to do his bidding, whatever he desires. You know, if you read the back of this book, you'll find out God wins. God is always winning. You may not see it, you may not feel it, you may not sense it, but God is always winning. You know, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive power and glory and honor. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. We were created to bring glory to God, but we can't do that with a sinful life. And so Jesus saved us. He was God incarnate, He was God in creation. But I want you to notice thirdly, verse 18, he was God in the church. He's God in the church. It says there in verse, sorry, uh, verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. If the Lord Jesus Christ walked in here today, we should all bow and worship. I wouldn't dare try to preach if Jesus is here. We'd let him have, no doubt, have the pulpit. I don't know if he'd want a microphone. I don't know what he'd want. But he can preach. No, no questions asked. Listen, you want to know the truth? He is here. We ought to honor and glorify him like he is each and every week because he is to have preeminence in the church. That means the one and only. Ephesians 5.21 says, Unto him be glory in the church. This is his church. We must always defer to him. Jesus made a divine visitation. He is God incarnate. He is God in creation. He is God in the church. But I want you to see a third thing. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 19, we see something else start. A divine reconciliation. So Paul is a master at how he writes. 
No doubt because he was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. So he says, let me tell you about your salvation, what happened. A transformation took place in your life. Let me tell you about the Jesus who saved you. Now let me tell you why. Why did all this take place? And why did Jesus come to this earth? And why did he do all this? Because he wants to reconcile you to God. There's a divine reconciliation. Now verse 19 gives us a little introduction to this passage. It's a new paragraph. He says, For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. You see, what does that mean? It means Jesus is enough. You don't have to go looking somewhere else for salvation. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done. We're saved by the blood of Christ. Our righteousness are all but filthy rags. It's not your works. It's not your church. It's not your religion. Because in him all fullness dwells. He's enough. You don't need anything else. The context of this passage is salvation through Jesus Christ. And the transaction that took place in your life the moment you were saved. And now he says, I'm going to reconcile you to God. But if you're going to do this, you have to trust me and and believe what I can do for you. And and trust in Jesus Christ and the finished work of Calvary. And so verse 20, he begins to talk about reconciliation. And he gives the three steps that take place in reconciliation. Number one, verse 20, he brings peace. He brings peace. Read the verse. Look what it says. Colossians 1, verse 20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Now, there's a couple important things here. He made peace through the blood. He said, wait a minute. You know, when I was unsaved, I don't know that there was a war going on. Oh, there sure was. The Bible says that you were at enmity with God. That's what the Bible says. Jesus looked at those Pharisees one time and said, Your father, the devil. We were under a different authority. We were enemies of God. We were without the kingdom. We were lost. Yes, there was was a war going on. We may not have known it or sensed it. But there was a war waging for your soul. And Jesus came along and he defeated the enemy on the cross of Calvary. And he says he's provided peace. He made peace through the blood of his cross. In other words, God is at peace with us now because what Jesus did. He's satisfied. He was the propitiation. Now notice what he says. He reconciled us unto himself. Not unto God just yet. And you say, well, how long did that take? Listen, I believe when the moment you got saved, all this stuff happened just right away. But when he made peace on the cross by his blood, provided a way of salvation, and he reconciled us to himself. The next thing is the repeat of salvation. You know what he says next, verse 21, he purified us. That's step two. Step two, it says, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, Yet now hath he reconciled. An alien is one that is outside the covenant. He says sometime. Now we use that word a little differently today than it's used in the Bible. I might say, well, I like to have ice cream sometimes. And you say, well, pastor, it looks like you have it more than sometimes. 
And that's what we use. We mean from time to time, right? The word sometime means in time past in the Bible. It means long ago, at one time, at one point in history, at some time, I was an alien because I had wicked works in my heart and mind. I was lost. But by the blood of Jesus Christ, I was purified. And I was reconciled. I was made right. Now, understand this whole thing just takes... It's, it's not a long, drawn-out process when God saved you. It's a, uh, the songwriter said it this way, and the transaction so quickly was made. It just took a moment. And notice what happens next, verse 22. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. When you got saved, Jesus made peace with God for you. He reconciled you unto himself and he washed away your sins and cleansed it in his blood. And then he took you like a little baby and presented you to his father, unblameable, unreprovable, and holy in his sight. That's something. How many of you, how many of you have been in that delivery room? Yeah, you've been in the delivery room, baby born? Yeah? Some of you are older and you, you lived in the good old days when you didn't have to see that. Man, that was, that's terrible. That's harder on the man than the woman, let me tell you. All right? I'm just going to say it. It's harder on the man than the woman. When my wife had Brendan, ew, 24 years ago yesterday, it was horrible. And then so when the doctor said, Emily was, she says, oh, I guess you're going to have a baby today. I had to go sit down somewhere. I was, oh, it's horrible. But when you get that little baby, they're perfect. Ten fingers, ten toes. You count them all, right? You take that little baby. And I was the first one to hold all my kids. Incredible. As a matter of fact, not even a doctor held Austin. I had to actually catch him because the doctor didn't get there in time. I had this mess in my hands. <laughs> it was me and a male nurse, the two of us, and we... Incredible. What a feeling to deliver your own baby and hold them. Perfect. When we come, are presented to God in verse 22, it's because we've been made holy and unblameable unreprovable because of the cleansing work of Calvary, because of what Jesus did for us. Isn't that amazing? So Jesus says, let me tell you about your salvation. Or Paul says, let me tell you what God did, what Jesus did. Now let me tell you about Jesus and how he's going to reconcile you to the Father because of all this. And it all happened in an instant. The moment you had true saving Bible faith in Christ. One more thing. Notice this. We see a divine visitation, a divine, or sorry, divine transformation, a divine visitation, a divine reconciliation. Then notice this last thing, a divine infusion. You know, verse 23 to 25, I won't read them. Paul spends a few minutes explaining this is why I preach Christ. I want everybody to go from, from here to here. I want them to go from the kingdom of darkness and the power of sin to the kingdom of his dear son. I want them to be reconciled to God, and so that's why I preach Jesus. And then he reveals the mystery of the ages. And he says in verse 26, Even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. 
to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Listen, here it is. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What a promise. If you have true Bible salvation today, you have Christ in you. You say, well, I thought we had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's His Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit of God. They're the three in one. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We have the very presence of God within us. That's that's where this salvation takes us. It doesn't just reconcile us to God. It's not just a far-off hope, but one day I'll get to go to heaven. It's a daily living with Christ now. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you. He is dwelling within you. Everything you see, he sees. Everything you hear, he hears. Boy, that ought to wake us up. You say, well, I'm getting awful tired of all these lockdowns and all what's going on. Yeah, everybody is. But here's the good news. You have Christ in you, the hope of glory. I feel sorry for the unsaved people sitting in an apartment all by themselves and they don't have Christ. I have Jesus. You know, they could burn this church building down. They put fences around it like they're doing in Alberta. They could take all my my home from me and they could take my health, they could take my family, but they can't take what's in here. I have Jesus dwelling in my heart. Let me ask you today, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Do you have Jesus? Is he dwelling in your heart? Do you know him? If you're a believer today, could I encourage you to give thanks to God for what he has done in that that momentary transaction, the moment you had true Bible-saving faith and trusted in Jesus Christ to save you. And he broke the power of sin and he redeemed you and he reconciled you and he did all those things in just a moment cleansed you would you thank and praise God for that why don't we stand to our feet and maybe there's one today say pastor I'm not sure Christ is in me I'm not sure that I have eternal life if I were to die today I don't know where I'd spend eternity so one that say pastor I'm not sure I'm not going to embarrass you I promise you I want to just pray and ask God to help you and would be glad to take a Bible and answer any questions that you have so once say, Pastor, I'm not sure. Would you pray for me? 